Welcome to the Thought Feeder Podcast. I'm John Steven Stansel. And I'm Joel Goodman. Many of you are working from home due to the COVID-19 outbreak, and we thought we'd take some time to give you some thoughts and tips on remote work and higher ed. Joel has been working remote for around eight years now and has some really great advice to share, and we have some thoughts and tips. But first, let's get started and kind of keep it a little light. Um, what are you wearing now? <laughs> That's a weird question. Yeah, that is a weird question. I mean, right? I sweatpants mean... or no sweatpants? Let's put it that way. <laughs> Currently, uh, sort of sweatpants, uh, and that's mostly because I am going to train with my trainer one-on-one. Don't worry. He has like two clients, different days. He's very healthy. I'm very healthy. We're not sick. Otherwise, I wouldn't be meeting up with him. But I'm going to work out later today with my personal trainer. And so I tend to not want to like put on real clothes if I'm only going to wear them for like a couple of hours before I go to the gym. And then once once I'm done working out and I get back home, I'll shower and then put on real jeans and get back to work. Usually most days I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt, but you know, sometimes you just got to feel comfy. And I think that's different for every person that's working from home. If people are going to see your legs, you know, maybe like put on regular pants, (laughs) but otherwise I don't know that it really matters. I'm trying to find a good middle ground right now. I've got some travel pants that are called the Rorik Revival layover pants. They're made for for long trips and being on an airport for a while. And they're kind of one step below jeans and one step above sweatpants. Uh, And those those have been working really well. And then I've got my American Giant hoodie, of course. And I've got what my ironed and pressed <laughs> important zoom meeting shirt ready to go <laughs> so to say look i'm still a professional working at home exactly <laughs> i think you're exactly right with it's it's a little bit different from everybody but being able to my my work work from home experience has been fairly limited but when i was at the texas department of transportation we were allowed to work from home one or two days a week right and i found for me personally the step above sweatpants is kind of the best option <laughs> uh to feel feel relaxed but also feel like i'm at work it sends a good signal to my brain that it's, it's not a a super relaxing day but it's not right so officious that i that i need to put on slacks and i think that's actually a really important thing that anyone can do when they're starting out working from home is so I've worked like like JS said I've I've worked from home for about 8 years and I think it was important when I first started moving from an office environment into a home office environment to really have that hard transition to you know what no I am not just laying on the couch watching TV or playing guitar in my bedroom I am going to sit down at a desk and do actual work and make money and accomplish things and so you know there is a mental transition that I think happens when you do put on a, you know real clothes for the day or even when you just shower in the morning cuz sometimes it's really easy to just get up and like you get into your routine of drinking coffee and eating breakfast and all of that and it can become really easy to just forget to transition you you slide into you open up your email client you slide into responding to emails you're looking at social media and all of a sudden you find yourself working and you haven't even like really prepared yourself for the day and what you need to do. And, and it might even be a small thing too you know normally i don't wear my watch on the weekends mm, yeah so you know, when I started working from home earlier this week, I, I almost didn't wear my watch and I kind of put, put my watch on this every morning. And that's kind of my signal to my brain of this is when I have my watch on at home, I am working. 
Right. Uh, and it can right. be those little things. You know, if you read the book Power of Habit, you know, it's that our habit stacking. It's those little signals that kind of transition you from one point and and time frame or my frame of mind to to the next. So with that, let's talk about your daily schedule and routine. Do you work by any sort of set schedule? Do you you keep everything in line and, and working like that? Yeah, it depends. Uh, I mean, my day, because I run my own agency, is a little bit, I think, more loose than what someone that works for a university is going to be doing day to day. But I do try to maintain a schedule throughout the day where essentially I, until, you know, this week, I would normally wake up and uh, take my wife to work. And then after she's at work, you know, I'll get back home. She starts around nine o'clock. She, she gets into work between 830 and nine. I'll come home. I'm usually home by nine o'clock. And then I sit down and really just dig into what's going on. And usually that's running through emails. One of the things that I learned three or four years ago that has really helped me is at least as an entrepreneur. And I, and I think this can be helpful to anyone that is, you know, working at home because, because there is a little bit more freedom to get distracted at times. I, I try to pay myself first. Uh, during the day, you know, so I'm not just I'm not just jumping in and working for my clients or working, you know, in, in the case of a lot of people that are listening, working for the the boss that we have or the the institution that we work for. Instead, I'll jump in and, you know, maybe catch up on news. Uh, this week, I don't really like catching up on news because it's all depressing, but I'll, I'll still like, jump in, figure out what's going on news wise, you know, see what's going on in the tech world, uh, try to catch up on on anything I, you know, I missed between going to sleep the night before and, and waking up in the morning, any, you know, any major announcements on social media, but do all the stuff that can seem a little bit more self-serving and that you may not get time to do during the day. Do that for yourself first. So you feel like, you know, you, you can kind of ease yourself into work. I usually it takes me half hour, maybe an hour. Sometimes I get distracted and I fall down rabbit holes and I, I then have to make up some of the time that I wasted that at that point. But it is very helpful for me in being able to focus and not get distracted the rest of the day, especially when I have projects that I do need to apply a lot of attention to and kind of zone out the rest of the world on. From there, I, I dive into communication and I, I have the luxury um, and the luxury of being able to kind of separate the communication side of what I do at, at, from the, the main bulk of my work. Unfortunately, I'm not very good at doing that. So like, ideally, I'd really like to just do all emails in the morning and then be done and then like check back at some time in the afternoon. Obviously, if you're in the middle of crisis communication, or if you're in a communication position, you know, even just normally, that's not necessarily something you're going to be able to do unless you have, you know, on demand, uh, sort of communication tools, like your boss is texting you or, you know, you use slack and you've got messages coming through. But for me running my own business, I try to get through the bulk of my emails in the morning if I have them and then kind of give that a break so that I can block off certain hours of time to just get work done. And I think that's really helpful too. I definitely toss those times on a calendar. And that way I know like, you know, from 10 a.m. to 1130, I've got an hour and a half where I'm just going to be hustling on whatever the project is that I need to get done that morning. And then at 1130, if I need to extend it, it gives me a little flexibility to do that. But I can also take a breather or check back in on email or check back in on uh, on social media or whatever it is that I feel like I need to do at that point. Yeah, and that's a, a good point. And one thing kind of to think about is separating your workspace from your home 
space. I once had a, a boss who lived right across the street from the shop he owned. And he always said it was always kind of difficult because when he looked out of the window, there was work. Well, if you're working from home, that yeah. you're, you're at work all the time. So, and especially in crisis communication, we can't really, we're always sort of on call, but yeah. <laughs> ha- having like a firm separation between yeah. I am working now versus I am not and having your spaces separated. Do you do anything to, to, to separate your work and home space? Yeah. And I actually have since the beginning and it's a little bit, I don't know, sometimes I'm not good at keeping the separation, but I think even, you know, even for tax purposes. And by the way, for those of you that are working from home, even for this little bit of time, when it comes time to pay taxes next year, you can deduct what you've put into home office uh, sort of space. Uh, so that's a that's a pro tip for you. But we have a we have a bedroom that is that serves as our as our office. And so my wife and I kind of share it. She's got her section with a, a massive commercial sewing machine and a bunch of other things. And then I I have the other half. And it's it's a mix between like a workroom or hobby room and then my my desk and offices set up. So I've got, you know, my guitars up on the wall and uh, storage for some books and for some other instruments and things like that. But then I've got my desk set up with, you know, my podcasting gear, a laptop stand, a second monitor, my webcam, my external webcam, because it's better quality than what's in my MacBook Pro and uh, and a nice office chair. And I can go into that room, I can shut the door if I need to, and it becomes the office. Uh, Or I can leave it open and have conversations with my wife if she's working at home, but she's generally busy too. So that's, uh, it, it is nice to be able to separate that space out. And I, I find that I actually don't necessarily come in here all that often when I'm not working unless I'm just grabbing a guitar and then taking it out. So there is a separation even in my mind on a normal basis between the spaces that I live in and the space that I work in at home. And that's that's helpful to me. The same thing at the, the last place we lived, uh, was a was a condo that had a lofted area. And so I, I had my desk up there and I worked up there and I didn't really go up there otherwise. And the rest of the time it was in the house. And even though everything was open and, you know, there weren't many walls separating the rooms, uh, I still had a space that was dedicated to the work that I needed to do. Excellent. You brought up, you mentioned uh, some of the tools that you're using. And I think that might be an interesting thing to touch on because you've got some really, I, I saw a Twitter thread with you talking about uh, office chairs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and spending money on an office chair versus someone like me who most likely will only be doing this for a few weeks to maybe sure. hopefully not as much as I do like working remotely. Yeah. These conditions are not yeah. something I, I, I want to last. Um, and hopefully it's only a couple of weeks top. So I don't want to invest a whole lot of money right. uh, on tools. So why don't you address some of the, the long-term tools that you use? And I'll talk about some of the, kind of the short-term things that I, I found have been helpful for me going into for what might be anywhere from two weeks to over uh, a month of remote work. Yeah, definitely. I started out with, you know, getting a a good desk and good chair because that's where the most of the majority of my time working is going to be. And so actually before we, before my wife and I moved to Austin back you know, eight-ish years ago, I had a home office set up anyways, because I was in grad school. And so I was doing a lot of work at home and I needed very similarly to, you know, separate myself from the the living space because I was doing my program all online. So we had a, we had another, we had a kind of like a den area. And so I went to Ikea, I found a desk I liked and I installed that and it was, it was great. And I actually brought that with me to Austin. I used that for the first probably three years that we lived here. And then I had a custom desk made because I wanted a standing desk and I was sitting down too much. 
Uh, and so I, I actually had a, I found a friend that, uh, that welded as a hobby. And so I said, Hey, would you build some bookcases and a desk for me? If I kind of helped kind of design and sketch them out, he said, sure. So got a really good deal on it because friends and hobbies and people trying to get better. And it's basically, you know, something that you could get at a store like West Elm and have to pay like $6,000 for. And I think it was 1500 bucks for a desk and three kind of giant bookshelves. And so, you know, it was basically like, like cost of supply, like cost of the actual material for the desk and the and the and the shelves and then a little bit of time for him to make up for for the time that he put into welding it and um yeah and so that's worked out really well and what's nice is that everyone sells all the all the companies that do these high-end office furniture office chairs and things whether it's herman miller doing the you know kind of the eam style stuff or or their you know their famous uh air on chair or i really like steel case chairs and i i have one that's that's the sort of i think what they call like architect height or something, but it's basically a stool, like a tall stool chair that still has a back on it, is still reclined. So at my standing desk, which isn't one that's movable or on a motor, I can sit in the chair if I want. Or right now, as I'm recording this podcast, I'm actually standing up at my desk and uh, have my second monitor on like kind of a swivel stand so I can raise that if I need to have a call and really want to stand up. So it works It works pretty well for me without having to have spent a ton of money on a motorized desk and have to deal with the space that goes into that and, and all that sort of thing. I think it's been really helpful to me to have a second monitor. It's been really good, gives me a lot more space, allows me to have a lot more windows open. It helps when I'm, you know, from coding things or designing things, I can have references up on one side and everyone knows how to use a second monitor and what they're, what they're useful for. But it's, it's been very helpful for me in my, my day-to-day work to have that monitor at home. But I think, yeah, I think the, the two, the two best purchases I've made for, in terms of just like outfitting an office have really been the, the desk, you know, having a desk that works for me is the right size is the right height. Uh, uh, and and buying a good quality chair. And if you don't, I, I mean, I highly recommend a good quality chair. You can get used or uh, or discounted Herman Miller Aerons and Embodies and things for you know less than the twelve hundred dollars they show online. You can get them for a lot of times four hundred bucks. If you live in a if you live in a city that has a tech scene, you know, jump on Craigslist and and look for startups that are getting rid of their furniture because a lot of times they dump a bunch of money into that furniture and then they decide to sell them off. And one way to look at it too is if you're going to be working remote long term that's something you're going to use every single day yeah and one way i kind of frame making large purchases that i'm going to use for a long time is think about not the cost of the thing itself but cost per use yeah definitely if you're going to use that chair every day break it down of you know how much each day is going to cost you and look at it that way and it it makes it seem a lot more reasonable yeah and and the idea is you know that's what you're going to get a lot of use out of it and use it long term for me working remotely right now where you know probably max i'll be working remote for about a month my setup is a little bit more modest i uh am in a our, our house has a built-in desk area that i'm using right now that's slash playroom <laughs> we'll talk about working remote with with kids here in, in, in a second but um i'm on my macbook pro that is my work my primary work computer, but I've got a few little odds and ends uh, to make Zoom calls a little bit easier since we're yeah. doing a lot of those these days. Uh, I use a uh, hardwired set of uh, ear, uh, earbuds, and I've got a blue snowflake microphone that I bought uh, before all this happened. I'm recording on it right now. That was about $25 on Amazon. And I've got a little ring light, webcam ring light that I'm using that is not really powerful. You can get them for about 12 bucks on Amazon. They're really made for selfies. 
Yeah, selfies. <laughs> I mean, it's a selfie ring light. That's a, I think that's actually the description. You can use a USB charger to charge it up. Take, taking a lot of selfies, huh, JS? All the time. <laughs> but it makes a noticeable difference. It really does. For, for, for lighting on... Uh, I'm turning it up and down right now uh, when, when doing those. Oh, man, so well lit. When, so yeah, well lit. So well lit. It brings out everything. Uh, makes me look so much more <laughs> professional. But it does make a noticeable difference. And those are little things that are that's not a giant cost. And you'll use them when you're not working remotely, too. You know, we still make conference calls. We still Definitely. need some of these things. And it's not an enormous investment. I even mentioned my, my external... USB web camera and and I did that mostly because it made video conferencing a lot easier and it was something that I think I spent about about 30 bucks on but you know like a, a MacBook Pro today even the best ones don't output high def video and so I can get 1080p out of this little camera and I think my I think my MacBook Pro still does 480 or something and it's mm -hmm. you know it's new it's 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 a year old or a year and a half old and they haven't they haven't fixed that the last i think the last high def you know facetime camera or whatever they put into or was it was right. it chat camera i can't remember what they called it way back in the day uh in the computers last high def ones that i think they've ever produced have been in imacs and i don't have my imac anymore so it makes a lot of sense to spend money on just those little things because they do make uh one you'll feel better about yourself because you look better when you're <laughs> when you actually see yourself in a video chat it really it's a weird psychological <laughs> thing that happens and i think you you know getting a nicer microphone is good i actually i'm i'm okay with the microphone on my macbook pro i think it sounds pretty good um not for not for trying to do professional recording or anything and i you know i actually have a little bit of a background in studio recording so i have like lots of other professional mics that i could use but using the using the macbook pro mic in general is pretty good and i i remember at one point i had <laughs> this, this is ridiculous i had uh i'd bought a softbox kit for doing some photography actually i think i bought it for a conference a bravery bravery media had sponsored a, a conference and i was like okay what am we do for the booth and like i bought uh i bought this softbox light kit for like a hundred bucks on amazon real real cheap one and i had that set up behind my desk and so when i would get on calls i'd flip on the softbox to like full studio lighting it was dumb uh so i don't do that anymore but but those little incremental upgrades do make a big difference yeah. and if you're going to be working remotely for more than a, a week i would suggest looking into it you know maybe spend about 50 dollars tops on some some stuff yeah for the splurge though i cannot live without my bose uh wireless noise canceling headphones even when i'm not working remote i've got those and i really like my sony's so either one i've heard good things about the sony's the sony's are so comfortable i use them for i use them when i fly mm -hmm. primarily or i did i bought them for when i was flying a lot and now especially with you know with with a spouse that's working in the house too and a little bit more noise it's uh it's it's helpful to be able to just put those on and tune everything out and i can wear them for hours and hours and hours and hours and they still feel super comfortable one thing though sideburns will wear the pads down i found so uh, you can buy replacement <laughs> pads for the those ones i've done that many times so uh so that said let's address a little bit about working remote with kids uh, a lot of us now uh during the covid 19 outbreak are, are at home we've got little ones uh who are out of school and working working remote with those kids does provide a bit of a challenge fortunately for me we've got a three-year-old boy and he's staying with his grandparents who live in the same neighborhood as us so that's quite a bit of a luxury that not a lot of people are afforded he's with us in the 
the mornings generally for a couple hours during into the workday before we drop him off. So it does provide a little bit of a challenge. But also one of the plus sides for us has been it gives us a clear line of when to stop work. Yeah, his nine nine as he refers to her uh, is is done at four thirty, which is our quitting time at, at the University of Central Arkansas. Nice. So that gives us a hard stop at the end of the day. So we're not tempted to to keep on working into our off hours. With Crisis Calm, I do have to, to stop and say, okay, Winston, let's give daddy some time to, to work now. But uh, we haven't had too much of an issue with it. But that's, we're in a position of privilege with that. Not everybody has grandparents just down the street. So, no doubt. you know, as a parent, I think it's important to forgive yourself a little bit when you have to work. We want to engage our children all the time and be sure that everything that they're doing is they're constantly being enriched. And, and we do need, we need to do that. It's very important. They're out of school. They need educational activities, but be forgiving of yourself when you have to do yeah. some really focused work. That's what iPads are for and don't feel guilty about it. There's a lot of good, you know, I, personally, my, my view on screen time is there, there's a lot of parenting out there that just thinks screen time is the devil, where I feel it's more, what are they doing with those screens? Is he doing something that is enriching that he's learning something from? Because, you know, he's going to spend his life looking at screens and being able to, to use those in a healthy way is, is important. Or is he just playing playing games? And sometimes there is value in, in that. So um, be, be willing to forgive yourself if you're not reachable all the time. I think you'll, you'll be, um, both you and your child will be a lot happier in, in that, that, that area. And another thing too is I know I'm very much an introvert and I'm an only child and I am incredibly happy being alone <laughs> in my house, uh, working away, not talking to anyone other than than on Twitter and and Slack and and Zoom chats. But that is not everyone. Some people need that that social contact and that socialization. Um, I'm not a fan of water cooler talk. <laughs> which makes remote work work very well for me, but some people are and they really value that. So I've I've actually seen on Twitter people requesting that, or or, or maybe it was bosses. I don't know, some, but it were people that were working at companies that went remote, and they're like, I really miss just water cooler chat, and so they've set up actual times during the day where people can just drop into a Zoom call or whatever to just have a normal, you know, whatever kind of chat and passing sort of thing. And that I think that is important for people. I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Got to catch up on whatever the TV was last night. <laughs> there was a there was a Zoom chat that was set up for some for higher ed social media managers around the country where we just all jumped into a giant Zoom chat. There was maybe I think at one point eighteen of us, and it was all all so, for the most part a very social chat. That's cool. It, it was very therapeutic too because we're all going through a lot of issues with crisis calm and the stresses yeah, that yeah. are involved there, and it was really nice to just spend thirty minutes with social media professionals from around the country all kind of talking about the experiences that they're going through right now, what they're doing, working remote. Yeah. And uh, it was it was very valuable to be able to do that and, and, and help that. So if you're an extrovert or an introvert, it's important to kind of keep up some of that socialization. We all need it a little bit. So find ways to do that if you can remotely. And yesterday, I, I just opened up a Google Hangouts and said, hey, I'm going to have open office hours if you want to stop by and say, hey, and have a chat, totally do it. And just, you know, put the put the link on Twitter and and on, and on 
on Facebook and in a group that I'm in. And it was uh, it was fun. Like, I think I talked to four or five people that on a daily basis I would I would talk to maybe, on, you know, on Twitter as like a reply or something. But we had some cool conversations just about how everyone's doing. And yeah, I, I mean, for me, I, I'm like right on the edge of introvert and extrovert and I can I can do either one. And so like on a normal day, I'll usually probably work until about four o'clock and then I'm like, OK, I got to get out of the house. And, you know, I can go like two or three days where I'm not out of the house and then I need to like go to the brewery and have a drink and say hey to my my bartender friends or, you know, meet up with someone and and just have one on one conversation about a project we're working on or something like that. And so it's been it's not it's not that big of an issue for me. Like I'm, I'm learning how to deal with not going out. But even, you know, my wife and I have just been taking walks in the evening as soon as she's done with work going outside. Uh, I, you know, I said this in episode one of this pod and it's just go outside from it and it helps. I mean, even if, if you're feeling cooped up and you're feeling isolated and you need to have, you know, some sort of, you know, extroverted feelings, just let them out, go outside and walk around or scream, or you probably have neighbors sitting, you know, on their porch or past someone on the street and you don't even have to say hi to them, but at least, you know, there are other humans out there still. You know, one thing I have been doing this week is going outside of my back porch and setting a timer on my phone of five to 10 minutes and putting the phone away and just sitting outside. Yeah. And that, that way that, that timer kind of keeps me in line of this is a break time. Don't look at the phone until then. I, I do cheat. Yeah. And I allow myself to cheat, but well, of course it also gets me away from, it gets me away from the, the work screen, get fresh air and it helps me right. work better. Yeah. Yeah, my, I mean, my wife's been doing this. She she tossed us up on her Instagram story uh, yesterday. So we were kind of talking through they they transitioned from her normal in office, you know, on site kind of work at the beginning of this week, and they didn't know if they were going to keep it going. And you know, her her leadership at, at at her at her office is it was fairly resistant to letting everyone go work remote anyway. So they they felt like their hand was kind of forced with this. But she yesterday decided that she was going to set up. 15 minute breaks where the only rule was she couldn't be in front of her work computer and she was actually going to take a lunch uh, and lunch being move away from the kitchen where she's been working and go out on our back deck and you know she might have worked on something else but she wasn't she you know she was eating something and she was she kind of moved locations I think one thing that I've learned in the the years that I've done this is that a change of scenery is is really really helpful in keeping yourself focused like it, it's difficult you'll find for a week that you're okay working in one spot, but it's really helpful to have a change of scenery. And normally like I would go work at a coffee shop or I would go work at a brewery and hopefully I will be able to do that again someday because it's very therapeutic and, and is nice. But even now, you know, I I'll take my laptop off of my desk, you know, detach my second monitor and go sit on the couch and work there. And, you know, maybe turn on some music or turn on NPR or something and have, have some noise around me and just have a different spot to work in. Or sometimes I'll go out and work on the deck if it's not stupid humid outside, which to central Texas or whatever. I think that's good advice, even when you're not working remotely. Yeah. Yeah. And I read, I, I like to, and I don't do this as much as I, I would like to, but sometimes I'll take my laptop and go work from the student center or the library and remind myself that I work at a university and not just a office. Right. And that there are actually students and there's life and things, things happening. Right. Unfortunately, um, we're not in a position to do that right now, but the change of scenery is very refreshing and kind of gives you a different perspective. Yeah. So 
Let's shift and talk a little bit about remote work and higher ed specifically, because this is pretty new. It's higher ed has, for the most part, been very hesitant and almost um, antagonistic towards the idea of working remotely. And for a lot of us in higher ed, this is the first time we've had the opportunity to do it. So I think one positive in this situation is it's giving us all an opportunity to prove that remote work is possible in higher ed. Yeah, it's not only possible, it actually has a lot of benefits uh, to universities. And I, as I've been thinking through kind of the paradigm shift that's happening within the industry because of the pandemic and because of all the different changes with courses needing to go online with people needing to work remote with you know just the realities that admissions officers aren't going to be able to go out and meet people in person at uh, admission fairs and recruitment events uh, that they're not going to be able to bring people to campus anymore to show them and you know all the all the stats that say once people come to campus they're they're gonna love it and that's when we're really gonna get them so like, yeah that's true but you know like what are what are you gonna do now like if you can't bring them to campus for six to eight months how do you recoup the number of potential prospects that you would have had from that thing. And, you know, there are a lot of questions that that are that are just going to be up in the air on the recruitment side of things, I think, in a lot of different ways. And on the retention side of things, can you actually teach well online enough to keep a student engaged and not go looking at a better online program somewhere else? Because they're going to have to be online either way. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of sad to me that it took a, a global health crisis to change and, and force this issue within higher education because it's something that I think I think higher ed could have been leading on for a decade. And there are plenty of institutions that have done you know online courses and online programs for years and years and years and years. And if we think about the last recession when you know when I was coming out of school and and then when I had my first jobs in higher ed, we were addressing the same things. We were addressing how do we you know adapt to this online thing. And there were schools that shut down because they couldn't they couldn't keep up with the online stuff. It's so like this the remote paradigm is not something new. It's just something that has kind of been ignored by higher ed or that higher ed has tried to try to kind of hide as as not being right. a real issue for, for quite a while. Well, and I think there are certain areas that promotes a challenge for where there are positions that do need to be on campus for certain things. There's a challenge in learning how to, to teach remote. Definitely. Like like you said, admissions counselors and, and advisors who face-to-face -face interaction is very much valued and the, yeah. the shift to remote is going to be difficult. But there are also several positions on university campuses whose jobs could be remote overnight very easily. Yep. For, for example, a social media manager yeah, or a graphic yeah. designer yeah. or a web designer. A lot of these jobs are remote in the business sphere, but in higher ed, they still have to show up and sit at a desk from nine to five. Right. And I think this is a good example of showing that it can be done to higher ed, but also we need to look at the fact that we're losing good people because of our refusal to allow remote work. I know so many amazing designers, um, you know, web folks who have looked at outside of higher ed and said, hey, I can not only make more money working for that company, I can also work remotely. Yeah. So I'll see you later, higher ed. And if we want to retain top talent, Granted, higher ed's not going to pay more. It's, it's low pay as part of it, but we love the mission and want to be a part of it. 
allowing remote work is one thing that we can easily do to right. retain and attract top talent. And sometimes for schools like us here in Conway, Arkansas, top talent's hard to find and it's hard to get people to move to some of these more remote areas. Whereas it's an excellent point. We could have uh, an amazing graphic designer who lives in Austin, Texas or lives somewhere else in the world and can 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 work for us and, and do just as good of a job, uh, if not better, because right. we have a broader talent pool to pull from. The cost of maintaining office space, you know, until until recently, all the concerns with a, a lot of campuses not having enough space for residential students for, you know, not, not having enough classroom space as they were growing and doing better. These are all things that can be fixed by having, you know, maybe selective uh, remote positions be be the de facto standard there. And, you know, you don't, you don't, someone doesn't have to be on campus every single day to, to stay in touch with the pulse of what's going on. I mean, everyone, every university hires an agency and those agencies generally are not working in your offices every day to do the work for you. It's the exact same thing. Let your experts that you have hired be the experts. And if you can rely on flexibility and you know, think about uh, your university, JS, if you could hire a, a great graphic designer in Austin, Texas, and just say, hey, we need you to be in Conway once a month. You know, come on campus, have an all hands meeting with us once a month. Even that, even paying to fly someone to Conway, Arkansas is going to be cheaper than having to pay for all of the all the office expenses and can be shifted to other places within the university. And I think there's there's just a it's it's been a short sightedness, I think, for a long time. You, you'll get better quality people doing better quality work, especially for those institutions that are in more rural areas and can't get someone to I mean, I think about the first the first instance. Institution I worked at, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to live, keep living in Greenville, Illinois. I mean, sure, I was only 45 minutes from St. Louis, but I still was living in the middle of cornfields in Southern Illinois and there wasn't anything to do, you know, outside of work, there was nothing to do. And I wasn't getting paid to paid enough to do anything otherwise. So I just felt, I felt trapped. And so I was able to do good work, but I, you know, I was constantly thinking, where can I go next? That's going to let me do better work and let me actually have a life that I enjoy and, and I'm comfortable for or are comfortable with. And I think you see this in, in all kinds of industries that have, that have moved to remote work. They're, they're able to get really high quality talent that live anywhere. I look at, I mean, you look at major companies like, like uh, Automatic who owns WordPress, they are entirely remote. All of their staff is distributive. They, they have a co-working space in New York City for people that live there that want, that actually want to go work at a co-working space. And then they rent a boardroom in San Francisco for board meetings alone. And that's it. The rest of it, everyone's, everyone's decentralized and they, what they, they run, it's probably close to 40% of the 40% of the web at this point. And it's way cheaper than moving into open office space oh, yes. and more productive oh, yeah. than open office spaces. Oh, yes. And one thing everybody says about open office spaces is that it's it's cheaper and um, letting people work remote is... But you know, some real talk, don't dump the money into redoing your office spaces. Dump the money into improving your student facility. Exactly. Dump, dump the money into improving the student experience that you have because that's where you're letting yourself is down. If you, if you can retain students and give them a good experience on on campus, we won't be in this position of, oh, geez, how do we recruit more? Because we're going to, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird little, it's a weird little bubble where we think all the money needs to go to the front end of marketing and, and the people that are supporting the front end of marketing and this very real population of students that are here now at the university or college don't get any of, don't get much of that funding anyways, to, to improve the experience that they have. Excellent. And I think we're running 
running a little long here, so I want to end on one soapbox. And as remote work pertains to COVID-19 and uh, social distancing, a lot of universities I'm seeing and I still are still hesitant at this point to letting all of their employees who can work remotely. And I think that needs to change as soon as possible. It's a matter of national health that we all social distance ourselves. And who knows, at some point we may be required to. So uh, if you're still being asked to come into the office, I would push as much as you can to be able to work remote. I've seen a lot of people who are saying, well, I'm quote unquote, essential faculty. Everybody is essential. Yeah. And if you are in a higher level position, you're in a position, if you are technically unquote unquote essential, you're essential enough that you don't need to get sick. Go on and call. And you don't need to get other, yeah, exactly. Go on call. There was a great thread on Reddit uh, from an anonymous social media manager in higher ed, and they basically said, look, I need to stay home. I can either take vacation time and not work, or I can work remotely and work from home. Either way, I'm gonna be working. I'm gonna, either way, I'm gonna be at home. I can be working or I can not be working. It's your call. Right. And I think that was a, a very profound way to look at it yeah. and make it happen. On top of that, if you are in a leadership position at the university, there is no honor or martyrdom into going into the office every day when you don't need to. I would love, love, love to see university presidents working remotely and sharing their experience, Definitely. both their successes and failures doing that set. If you're a leader, lead by example and tell people it's okay to work remote and don't make people feel guilty about doing it during a time of crisis. Um, I'm sorry, to, the, the, the fire and passion in me is coming up on this. This is a, an important thing. So if you can stay remote and, 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 and for the benefit of the people who can't do it, we have UPD, we have health workers on our campuses. We have our, our custodial and, and, and physical plant staff who do have to be on, on campus during this time to, to, to maintain our buildings and keep our students safe. And by going into the office when you could very well be working remote instead, we're putting those people in danger. Yeah. So stay home, stay home, wash your hands, take care of yourself. So take a, take a look around and see how many people you're actually meeting with in person on your campus right now and make a note of that because it's, and I mean, think about how many people you meet in person with on campus anyway. Those meetings can be emails. Those meetings can be phone calls. Those meetings can be video chats. Don't, don't be, don't be dangerous. Stay home and stay safe. Well, I think we're going to end it there, and we hope that you've enjoyed listening to our second episode. If you have any questions for us, uh, you can tweet at us at ThoughtFeedPod on Twitter. Yeah, send us uh, photos of your uh, of your home office space. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. On, on Twitter. Let's, let's just see what, what you're doing. We'll share ours. And um... If you have questions specific for us, uh, I'm at Joel Goodman, and, and JS is at JS Stancil on Twitter as well. We'd love a follow from you or just questions, and we're happy to have conversations about any of this. And, you know, make sure to visit ThoughtFeederPod.com to subscribe to the podcast and, and leave any comments there as, as you'd like. Uh, but we're, you know, we, we're happy that we can actually talk about this stuff and have a little bit of experience through the weird, crazy changes that are happening in this world and appreciate you listening with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks.